Welcome back to another episode of Our Interesting Times. It is my pleasure to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. He returns uh, to discuss well, an article that he wrote for December's uh, Culture Wars, uh, Doc Cow for Dummies, a review of the defeated. Of course, Dr. Jones is the editor of Culture Wars magazine and the author of several books, including Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality, and the recently released second edition of the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and its impact on world history. And I think next sometime early next year, you have a book on art coming out? Yeah, The Dangers of Beauty, The Conflict Between Mimesis and Concupiscence in the Fine Arts. So it covers art, music, and poetry, art in Italy, music in Germany, and poetry in England. Okay, of course, a lot of cultural history, politics involved in all that, I assume? Yes. Yes, Yes, because they aren't separate, of course. Uh, No. uh, That's something to look forward to in the new year. so, well, other than the article, I also had you back. I wanted to get your take. Now, last time we spoke was October, and I'd like to maybe get your take on last uh, month's elections in Virginia uh, and Christi- what they're calling the, the anticipated red wave in 2022. Is this just sort of the political pendulum swinging right? Or- this was straight up uh, culture wars. Uh, this it was uh, fueled. The Virginia election was uh, fueled by outraged moms at school board meetings. That's as basic uh, the basic uh, ground entry level of the political process. And the people who are running these school boards and the libraries associated have become completely out of touch with reality. So they have books uh, in the library on uh, pedophilia, illustrated books of pedophilia. And, and, and so the mother is there at the school board meeting and she's going into detail about what's in the book. And, and the guy, the president of the school board said, uh, please uh, stop talking that way. We have children present. <laughs> well, wait a minute. You bought this for the children in the school. This is ridiculous. This is because they were caught. They were embarrassed because they were caught. Uh, so it was straight. Uh, and so uh, Governor, uh, the guy running for Governor McAuliffe, jumps into this with both feet and gets it exactly wrong. He said parents should have nothing to say about what goes on in schools. And at that point, the Republican Party lit up and they started cheering and they caught it on tape and they played it. And uh, the new guy, Yunkin, got in. It was straight up culture wars. It was like a throwback. Mm-hmm. A, th- a throwback to the 90s or something like that. It really it really wasn't representative of what's going on here. It's a throwback. Well, what's odd, though, is uh, I know they felt that way. They believed that for the longest time, that parents have no say in education. That's It's been hijacked for decades. But the fact that they come out and admit it. Uh, yeah, it's always, <laughs> always dangerous to admit things like this. We know uh-huh. what you think. We know what you're thinking. But when you actually say it, it's shocking. And we got it on tape and he lost the election. He it was his to win. It's a blue state, isn't it? You live there. You should know. Yeah, it's been turned into a blue state in the past 20, 25 years. Um, so, yeah, it was something sort of like a, there was a, um, a rebellion there in a neighboring Fairfax County among, I guess you could say, the parents and the taxpayers. And there was that coupled with the critical race theory stuff. 
I don't think the COVID stuff helped much. But one thing that was, was interesting was the reaction. It wasn't just the, um, the school boards, but the, the fact that these parents were designated domestic terrorists for their- Right, right. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Another reason to vote against these wretched Democrats. That was uh, Merrick Garland who did that. Uh, this is way, you're out of touch with reality, fellas. <laughs> and, and the proof of that was they, they lost the election. Now, again, uh, it's I'm, I'm not popping any champagne corks out here. The guy who won is a former employee of the Carlisle Group. Uh-oh. And then he also had some uh, big announcement in May of how he's going to fight anti-Semitism in Virginia. So uh, it, the, the Republicans will probably be true to uh, form and uh, reimpose their oligarchic view on the people who voted uh, for some type of representation of their views. But I, I don't want to be too pessimistic. The, the victory was a clear-cut victory against um, sexual deviance, which is one of the main forms of control over here. So it is what it is. What, what has happened since that time? Well, I mean, he's um, there's some, you know, obviously he doesn't take office till next month. Uh, but um, I, I do know that he uh, has signaled uh, that uh, he, he doesn't tend to be quite the, the radical as me, people projected onto him is going to be because he's um, appointing what you'd expect the, norm, the usual suspects. And of course, he did sign that pledge. Remember, he's fighting anti-Semitism. And Virginia has this thing called the Virginia Israeli Advisory Board. It's actually part of the government. <laughs> and so that's him. McAuliffe actually created during his his term when he was uh, governor uh, eight years ago. And so basically it just it just establishes business ties between the state of Virginia and, and Israel. It basically guarantees business ties and subsidies for Jewish owned businesses in Virginia that do business yeah, in Israel. Those, yeah. those Jews need help with their businesses. Uh, uh, great. That's great. Uh, we have mm -hmm. we have something similar here. They passed a law banning. Uh, trade uh, with Iran. Wait a minute. Why are you banning trade? Don't you want people in Indiana to sell their goods to other people? Wouldn't it be great if the Iranians would buy stuff from Indiana? Why are you interfering in this process? So the state senator who sponsored it happens to live right behind me, uh, like uh, 20 feet away. I wrote him a letter saying, do you represent the people of Indiana or do you represent the Israel lobby? And, you know, when you write a letter to these people, the letter comes back almost before the stamp is dry, you know, mm -hmm. he, he never responded, never responded. So he was speechless when I asked him that question because the jig was up. He suddenly was exposed with his hand in the cookie jar. But uh, so it, it, the same thing is happening all around the country. And that's the, going to be the fatal flaw here. And the man who's discovering this, in the expensive school of experience is none other than Donald Trump realizing that uh, if you put your faith in those Israelis, if you bend over to lick their boots, they will kick you in the teeth. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Well, he, he's come out recently, says some things about uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. Which we can't repeat on family radio here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's uh, so yeah. so. And so the really funny part of this is that the, during the course of the interview, he started talking about Jewish control of finance or something like that. And the ADL came out and attacked Donald Trump as an anti-Semite. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. If the most pro-Jewish, pro-Israeli president in the history of the United States is an anti-Semite, who isn't? Yes. Who isn't an anti-Semite? Yeah. Maybe you better publish that list. And Glenn Lundgren. Yeah, Glenn Youngkin was called anti-Semite during the campaign because he started criticizing uh, Soros and, you know, Soros uh, that's, activism. That's, you're not allowed to say that word. So mm -hmm. the same, same thing this happens uh, on Fox News. There's a cartoon of Soros, the puppeteer. And guess what? Fox News is anti-Semitic. <laughs> this, this, this guy is, this guy, Jonathan Greenblatt, is a really busy guy. Every, every he's denouncing anti-Semitism on a daily, almost hourly basis. So the, the same thing happened. Uh, I don't know whether you ever saw that clip on uh, Fox News where Newt Gingrich mentions the word Soros. Oh, yes. That was the, during the summer of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's told you can't mention that word. Well, uh, who knew? Newt, Newt, Newt certainly didn't know. 
But it turns out that Cardinal Miller now, uh, a sign of the church awakening here, issued a statement saying that uh, the COVID was not medicine. It was biowarfare against the entire human race waged by oligarchs like uh, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, and George Soros. And then the bell went off. The anti-Semitism alarm went off all over Germany. Uh, and uh, he was denounced as an anti-Semite because he said the word Soros. Who knew? You can't even say the word Soros anymore. Used to be you were an anti-Semite if you said uh, George Soros was a Jew. But now all you have to do is mention his name and you're an anti-Semite. Well, that's so, like, yeah, that's like if you question transgenderism, if you question unrestricted immigration, the ADL will call you an anti-Semite. Right. So I think yeah. that uh, Mr. Greenblatt, has been, he, he's he's called He's cried out Wolfowitz one too many times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the ADL is not supposed to be that like openly that that that's so, uh, I guess you say, uh, revealing or they, they, they're supposed to work behind the scenes, you know. Uh, well, they're, 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 I think they're it's losing its power, isn't mm -hmm. it? Isn't that what this means? The more you use it, the less the less potent it becomes mm -hmm. to the point now. Well, if Donald Trump's an anti-Semite, I mean, who isn't? Who isn't an anti-Semite? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Now, yeah, it's well, what we're seeing throughout the country is sort of, again, where I kind of alluded to it, is this sort of lack of trust in these institutions, whether it's the medical authorities, uh, authoritarian, medical authoritarians, it's a better word for them, uh, the Justice Department, the court system, even the, the federal government, these utterances, you have Joe Biden out there, you know, telling people Merry Christmas, it's going to be death and illness for us all, for our unvaccinated. Yeah. No one seems to be particularly frightened this round, but the, I mean, the, uh, the, the, the shrillimeter, as Catherine Austin Fitz calls it, the media is trying to scare everybody, but it, culturally, it seems like everyone's kind of moved on. Now it's almost like inertia at this point. They're just trying to, I guess, kind of push it over the finish line, but it's lost its momentum. Um, and you've, I mean, you've seen the politics almost revert back revert to, to the states and you you talk right, about this right yeah yeah i mean i think it i think it ran out of steam uh in in june uh, i think uh, they published statistics uh their official statistics of covid uh, vaccination rates the highest state was vermont 75 percent the lowest was alabama with 17 percent now these are all exaggerated to make it look higher than it is i'm, mm -hmm. I'm positive and the middle of the country is all around 50%, which leads me to believe it's less than 50%, which means uh, the people have stopped getting vaccinated. I, I, out here, life is pretty much normal. Every, every day we hear something about Omicron now sweeping through the, the world, sweeping through the United States, and, and you just walk around. Nobody's reacting to this. Mm -hmm. You go to public places. I was at a you know a pub on Saturday night. I don't. I didn't see anyone wearing a mask. Everyone it was normal. There was no social distancing, no mask wearing. It was back to normal pretty much. And I think that's that's the way it is here in Indiana. I don't know whether it's this way in New York. I'm glad I don't live in New York uh, because of what's what's happening there. So as I said before, you're seeing the return of regional culture. Yeah, and we're seeing that even with like with the. Uh... Supreme Court in the abortion issue, where they right. it appears that they might be going effectively reversing Roe v. Wade. Now, I don't know if that will happen, but by letting some, uh, I think they let one the Texas law stand, and they're questioning the Alabama law. I guess that's what's what they're uh, debating uh, about in the Supreme Court. But if they, again, if they let it stand, that effectively reverses Roe v. Wade. It does. Yeah. If you allow if you allow the states to make up make decisions about abortion, that reverses Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not it's not what uh, I would like. I'd prefer that it was banned across the country. Uh, but this is, I think, the way they're going to have to they're going to have to deal with it. Well, it's a status quo ante. Then here we are. Right. Back pre January 1973. Uh, right. So you know, that failed. That experiment yeah. failed of thinking you could impose something on the majority of the people of the United States. So they said, okay, if Brown versus school board worked and everybody went along with that, what's, there's no difference with Roe versus Wade. Everybody will go along with it. This was certainly the thinking of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, mm -hmm. who was full of regret that nobody, that it just didn't work that way. There was widespread resistance. And now it turns out that there are gonna be legislatures that are simply gonna overturn it. And uh, they're gonna let it stand. 
it, the, the, the real case is going to be Mississippi, which is the next case. It's already been decided. It's not as complicated as the Texas case, which was all there are all sorts of procedural things to basically prevent anyone from appealing that law or anyone from uh, struggling through trying to get through around that law. It's not going to work. Mississippi, I think, is clear, and I think they're simply going to allow it there. And I think the the, the day of universal acceptance of this program this uh, and calling it American, that's over. Uh, and don't look at me. I didn't destroy it. They destroyed it. Hillary Clinton did it with her identity politics. And now you're going to have uh, New York is going to be different than Mississippi. Duh. Who Who knew? that New York was different than Mississippi, right? Mm -hmm. But now it is, and now it's going to be officially recognized. So it's, well, uh, yeah. go ahead. Well, you, you said it, I think you said it, is the, what Re-Raid really represented was uh, uh, New York and California imposing their abortion laws on the entire country. Right, that's yeah. exactly what it was. Yeah. And uh, that's, what, that's what Bernard Nathan said, because he did it in New York. He said, he said this is like the Achilles heel of the right to life movement. They could never identify their enemy, you know, uh, and so he said, if everybody knew that it was crazy Jews from Greenwich Village, they wouldn't have tolerated it. That was Bernard Nathan, who was a crazy Jew from Greenwich Village uh, until he converted to Catholicism. Uh, but that was completely uh, sub submerged. And I think that's uh, that's ending, too. So the day when uh, I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but uh the former Archbishop of Philadelphia, Archbishop Chapu, wrote an article in First Things, and he talked about school prayer. And we, it all began with the ban, Supreme Court banning school prayer. And who was responsible for that? Well, it was secularizing activists. Well, no, no, it wasn't that. <laughs> it was Jews. It was the American Jewish Committee. It was Leo Pfeffer. I can I know the names. It was it was Jews versus Protestants. It was Abington versus school board. It was it, there are Catholics up there, but it was largely the public schools are run by Protestants, and that was the case that uh, banned school prayer. So why are we being so uh, timid here? Where did that get us? We have to identify the enemy here, uh, and I think that people are now doing that. And I don't think I don't think the ADL likes it. And I think that's why they're issuing fatwas on a daily basis. Well, we're in a situation now where it would appear that uh, the Jews are at the pinnacle of their power, uh, but it seems to be slipping away because they're losing control of the narrative. Right. Um, uh, and this uh, December's culture wars. <laughs> well, you this is this is devoted to uh, uh challenging one of the the the, the uh, i guess most important narratives uh i guess upholding jewish power that is of the holocaust and you right. much of that issue is devoted to a very long article about um uh uh, 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 uh robert ferrison right right uh, and then you you had a review of this uh tv series netflix tv series i believe called uh the defeated right and right. um so why did you decide to devote the december issue to this well, I think it's I I I wrote uh, the piece on the defeated because the defeated is is an up to date. It's just the current, it's the current state of the Holocaust narrative. It's that mm -hmm. simple. I mean, this 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 is not going away. We're reaching into, you know, uh, what are we reaching now? Pushing on eighty years of the Holocaust narrative, and we're still telling the same story. Except that now the the, the focus is shifting a little bit now because now we're talking about after the war. It's none of these war movies anymore. It's like what Berlin was like after the war, and it wasn't pretty at all. It was a totally bombed out city. And now you've got an American come back who's going to bring back the rule of law um, uh, to Berlin. Well, uh, you know, we're talking about things that never got talked about before. So if you're talking about the post-war period, that was uh, something I don't think they want to talk. I don't think they want to go there, but they are going there. Uh, so they're kind of to revivify the the uh, the Holocaust narrative. Uh, so this guy, the two brothers, Mox and Morowitz, this is an inside joke because these were cartoon characters out of a book of poetry, uh, bad boys, you know, stories about that uh, by a guy named Bush uh, that people all used to read. 
Okay, so the one brother is the cop I've already described. He's trying to bring back order. His twin brother is invo- was uh, a soldier who went rogue. He's, nobody knows where he is, and uh, all these murders start happening. And it turns out his brother is the guy who's doing this. Okay, and his brother went crazy at Dachau because, and then they have to show you the scene of Dachau, and there are all these guys in their pajamas, and there was uh, all being ready to be gassed, uh, except the Americans showed up and prevented them from being uh, exterminated. Well, first of all, we're not in the realm of reality anymore. Dachau was never, no one ever claimed it was an extermination camp. It was a place to hold people, and uh, the majority of people in there were not Jewish. The overwhelming majority were Catholic, including Catholic priests, German Catholic priests, and uh, if you add the Poles in, they were Catholic too. So you had 30% of this place being uh, uh, Jewish, okay? And then, so something happened to him. What happened to him at Dachau? He felt that they saw the concentration camp, and those people weren't being punished, And so he went crazy. And now he's going around like a vigilante, killing people that he thinks are Nazis. And that's pretty much the plot of the whole book. We have to see if we can catch this guy. Well, wait a minute. We're not, this is, we're not telling the truth here. Okay. If you want to tell the truth about Dachau, the Americans did enter that camp. There were dead bodies all over the place. My father's best friend was there and had pictures, showed me these pictures when I was, think I was 12 years old when I saw these pictures of all these bodies lying around. But why did they die? Well, there was no extermination going on at Dachau. They died because the Americans bombed the railroads. Uh, Food couldn't get in. The water had been contaminated and everybody was dying of typhus. Uh, That's what was going on at Dachau. But what the Americans did, uh, they committed a war crime at Dachau. They come in, the Americans come in, they see these dead bodies. Suddenly the rumor spreads that it's an extermination camp. So they take the camp guards, they line them up against the wall, and they kill them all with a a machine gun. So what what you see here, so yeah, so they did go crazy. So that is the truth, but it's not the way you're telling. It's not the story that the the, the movie The Defeated is telling. And I'm saying, uh, going back to that, Europe, going back to what happened, back to what happened in Dachau, it happened a lot. There were atrocities committed against the German people. Nobody talks about that. And one of the main atrocities was perpetrated by General Eisenhower, who captured a lot of Germans, German soldiers, refused to declare them prisoners of war and simply put them on the, the, the floodplain of the Rhine River put the fence around them, did not give them food, did not give them water, did not give them shelter, and they died like flies. Now, the, the, only, the only contentious issue here is how many died. Nobody is contesting what happened there. And the, the guy who brought this out was a guy named Bach, a Canadian. And it didn't come out until 50 years after the war was over. He says other losses, was, right? The, the book, right, other, that's, other that's one of them. There are two, two books that he did, but I mean, that was one of them. Crimes and uh, Mercies was the other one. Right. So it came out in, around 1995. That's 50 years after the war. I was there uh, uh, 30 years after the war, but that was 20 years before these came out. I was on the Rhine. I know what the Rhine meadows look like because I walked by them every day of the week. And I went to, I had friends, English friends in Rheinberg, and we go there for a weekend to hang out. And there was a camp in Rheinberg, but I never knew that. I was there. No one ever told me. No one talked about this uh, 50 years ago. I'm sorry, I was there 40 years ago. No one talked about this back then. It took 50 years for this story to come out. You know, that's, I'm saying this is, in a sense, Logos rising. And the symbol I used for that on the cover was that hand coming out of the out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Now, this there was something else happened there in Germany this summer. They had tremendous flooding, uh, few, uh, uh, worse than ever before. And uh, the places that were affected, I was I was right on the Rhine. That's a very broad valley, and so the meadows flood all the time, and it doesn't matter. But if you live in a place down like. If there's a river R, A-H-R, that comes into the Rhine uh, just south of Remagen and north of uh, Zinzig. 
uh, and uh, that turns out was one of the main places for the Rhine Meadow camps. And this flood came through and it just destroyed the cities because it's a very narrow valley. And there are people there, it's on the internet, I give you the citations in the article, who are claiming that bones started to come up out of the ground. I'm saying this is this may be literally true. I think it's probably literally true because that's the sense I'm getting. But it's symbolically true as well because mm -hmm. what you're seeing is this consciousness is coming to the fore. You can't repress this. This is coming to the fore of, of the minds of the German people. You cannot impose a false narrative on a people forever. And if they think the, the, the Jews think they can uh, because they were so successful in Germany in imposing this narrative on the German people through social engineering, but it's not going to last. The people are waking up, and I think the main manifestation of it is this unhappiness with COVID. Like COVID has now become the representative of all of these forces that have been oppressing these people for so long. It seems as if you can talk about it. Uh, where this is going to go, I don't know. We don't know because we're in the middle of it. And you never know how the battle is going to go, end up when you're in the middle of the battle. So on the one hand, the Germans, you got these it's just awful in Germany. I mean, there are pictures of cops arresting Santa Claus because he's not wearing a mask. Uh, on the other hand, you have Austria, huge demonstrations in Austria against the lockdown. And finally, uh, the auxiliary bishop of uh, Austria, of Vienna, came out in support of the demonstrators. Now, that's a significant factor. Mm -hmm. I've already mentioned Cardinal Muller, who used to be the prefect for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. He's come out against it. I'm saying this is starting to rise up. This consciousness uh, is starting to rise now. And it, whether it's going to, whether it coalesces, I don't know. No one knows at this point. We're in the middle of the battle, and it looks as if the darkest hour is going to be after Christmas, when all of the people, everybody's going to, Biden's just waiting. He's going to fight Omicron. It's, you're not fighting Omicron. You're currying favor with the oligarchs because they want everyone vaccinated. It's not working now. They're going to double down, and it looks dark after Christmas. That's the way I see it now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like they, it's, a, it's a bid for, to impose this technocratic, you know, feudalistic order. And uh, it's sort of like a, a bluff and a showdown at this point. Right. Uh, it's a little more difficult in the United States because the United States has this sort of state and local governments. And so uh, it's harder just to impose one system. And that's the running, running into trouble with the courts. And right. Some, yeah. Right. Um, it was originally, uh, you know, different states. They recognized the founding fathers recognized that Virginia was not the same as Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And there was no way it was going to be. And so they just let that'll be the status quo. That's Virginia, that's Massachusetts, and they have their own government. There is that residual sense here. Um, I, I, look, I, I watch Germany, I watch Australia, I think, how, how is this possible? And I, I, I'm thinking, I don't think it's going to happen here. I don't think it's going to happen in South Bend because I've talked to cops and cops are telling me they're not going to enforce it. You, you won't have in South Bend those scenes of the cops arresting Santa Claus. It's not going to happen. Thank mm -hmm. God. Okay. But they, they, the cop I was talking to said that they feel their job is to protect the people of South Bend. Well, duh, that's a novel idea. But I mean, it's there. It's there. And you're not going to have cops enforcing COVID regulations here. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Yeah, I think the, the, the big question is, and people are, are being presented with this uh, issue is, um, do our, our, do our uh, uh, elected representatives represent us or the oligarchs? And it appears, so at least in the past 20 months, it's become clear that most of them are just simple agents of the oligarchs. And that's how, right. how you get 190 countries simultaneously you know, follow the same script. <laughs> right. You know, it's pretty obvious when that when that occurs. Yeah. yeah. Now it took it took time for this to sink in. I mean, what, even with the that Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which is an early precursor of what we're going through right now, it took about six months before somebody in North Carolina, where they tried the same damn thing with the bathroom, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they tried it in North Carolina. Some guy woke up and said, this is an attack on representative government. 
Mike Pence never figured that out. Uh, he probably still hasn't figured it out, but somebody did. And now I think more and more people are starting to see. That's precisely what Mueller said. All of these things that we've taken centuries to acquire these freedoms, to cultivate these freedoms, uh, they're all being abolished as we speak. The attempt is on. Abolish your right to speak what you, your free speech, uh, your right to assemble, your right to travel. These are the three issues that are being challenged right now, especially the right to travel, you know, and the other straw in the wind is that two CEOs of two airlines have said, we can't do this mask anymore. It's causing fistfights on the airplanes. It's causing all kinds of travel. We're going to lose money. Uh, uh, we're going to go out of business. Well, that's significant. Also, another straw in the wind is uh, Boeing had a mandate. Everybody had to get vaccinated. Now Boeing is back down. Because Boeing realized uh, these are not guys, these are not 15 an hour teenagers that you hire off the street. You know, these are skilled people. And if a significant number say we're leaving, you can't fulfill your orders. They're already in trouble. You cannot attack the labor force like this and not expect some type of consequences. So, you know, you got Biden, who's never been weaker. Uh, getting more and more tyrannical uh, with less and less power or uh, by, uh, it's probably he's becoming more and more tyrannical because he realizes nobody's listening to him. Yeah. Or a or few few people are listening to him and also seeing deeper, deeper into dementia at the same time. Yes, that's another yeah. factor. So there are people in the Democratic Party who are unhappy with him and that they're saddled with this guy now who's going to drag them down to defeat as sure as. The, the, the sun comes up in the morning, the Democrats are going to go to defeat, down to defeat in the next election, in this, this coming uh, 2022 election in, in now, the fall. Yeah, it goes to the question, will it make a difference? Because <laughs> we go back to even what happened in Virginia is, is, is the Republican Party, will that be in a position where they uh, you know, uh, see the light and then chart a new course? I think history suggests they won't because the Republican Party is controlled by the same oligarchs. The final analysis. Well, that, that, like the classic example that I'm, I see is uh, Governor DeSantis of Florida. Like he's really standing up. He's pushing back on the COVID thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's that's uh, heartening to everyone who understands what's going on. Donald Trump, by the way, just announced he had gotten his booster shot and he was booed. <laughs> when yeah. is he going? When is Donald Trump going to wake up to the fact that that's not a winning thing to say? <laughs> Don't you have handlers to tell you not to do this type of thing? But anyway, I mean, DeSantis, I think, has positioned himself. He should run for president in 2024. He says he's not to, but everyone who's going to run says they're not going to run. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean anything. So that's great. you got this guy, DeSantis. Yeah, let's cheer on um, Governor DeSantis. Oh, wait a minute. He's one of the most flaming Zionists in the country. He passed a law. Uh, making it illegal to criticize Israel on state campuses in Florida. Mm -hmm. So, so there you have it. There you have this whole this whole problem here, that uh, we've got a, a groundswell of uh, discontent, and yet no one can focus it because no one can articulate the real uh, parameters here, the real political parameters. Everyone's afraid to do that, and so they they hurry back to these tired out cliches like liberal and conservative and then the, the system just uh it repeats itself you blunt this movie like you have disappointment like the trump administration you know it was disappointing to me i think it was disappointing to everyone who voted for him it's maybe not the christian zionist from texas but uh a lot of people the people i know were all disappointed because he was and now he's he's having buyer's remorse about his dealings with the Jews, he, you know, talking about Netanyahu, talking about that he, he killed Soleimani, which he never should, he never should have done that. That was an immoral act. And then he expected Israeli support and he didn't get any. So are we, are we just going to go back? Is it just circles or is it a spiral, an upward spiral of increasing consciousness? That's that's a big question at this point. Well, if you read the articles that you that you published in, in the December Culture Wars, uh, is uh, you have this narrative. Of course, that narrative, which you write about, 
is the is the foundation for Jewish power. And right. at least the fear of being accused of being an anti-Semite, because if you're an anti-Semite, then you're one step removed from being a Nazi. And the Nazi is the most evil thing people that ever existed because of the Holocaust narrative. And you, you read about the you really look into the details with these articles and do the research is it's a bit more complicated and a lot a lot murkier than the standard history uh, uh, tells us and you in the article you talk about and this is how bad it was is that in places like dark dark Dachau and Bergen-Belsen is the um the allies the uh I guess the office of war information and the psychological warfare branch office I guess it was the um OSS and OWI they brought in director, Hollywood directors like Billy Wilder and Alfred Hitchcock to film these scenes that were completely fabricated. But this this stuff, at least when I grew up with this was I, I had books, pictures of human lampshades and, and right. shrunken heads and 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 pelvis, pelvics, you know, ice trays made, made from a human pelvic pelvis and, and the thing. All that was fake. And the gas chamber yeah, stories were fake. It was and, fake. Yeah, it was fake. Yeah. I mean, who knew that Germans didn't shrink heads? Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> what are you kidding me? And, yeah. and the problem is, the problem is, I mean, they they overplayed their hand. Mm -hmm. So Eisenhower comes into Ordruf, which nobody knows about anymore, and he sees the dead bodies and he brings Bradley, Omar Bradley, and General Patton in, and they're looking at the dead bodies and they're taking pictures. Well, those dead bodies are real. They're really, they're really dead bodies there. They should have stayed with the dead bodies. Instead of doing that, he tells McClure, who was the head of psychological warfare operations, to send people ahead because the next place we're going into is uh, Buchenwald and uh, put the, the shrunken heads there and the lampshade made out of human skin and the pelvis. Well, the problem is you actually had Billy Wilder photo photographing, filming that. Well, you damned yourself with your own fabrication. Now you're stuck with it forever. At least successful propaganda is always a definite category of reality upon which you impose your, your category of the mind. So the category of reality is the dead bodies. There were dead bodies all over the place. Of course there were. They, were all, they all died of typhus because of the lack of hygiene, because you killed, you blew up the water supply and there's no food. So they're starving and diving in typhus. If you just, so you impose the category you imposed on it. Well, they were gas chambers. They were exterminating them. Well, no, that's not what it was. That's not what it was. And now, as you said, this reality was created at this point. This is the fundamental myth of the American empire that Americans are good people. And the point of this was to distract uh, America and the world from the war crimes that Eisenhower was committing at this point in time, war crimes. The way he treated the, the uh, captured soldiers in the Rheinwiesenlager, the Rhine Meadow camps, uh, the saturation bombing was a war crime. The bombing of Dresden, the bombing of Hamburg, the fact that that guy, the beginning of the defeated, you're looking at that destroyed city, well, it's nice that this American is such a nice guy handing out chewing gum to the orphans, but who's the one who made them orphans in the first place? It was you and your wretched, immoral saturation bombing campaign. That was immoral. And the immorality was crying to heaven. And that's why you needed this collaboration, the collaboration between Hollywood and the army. Hollywood represented by Billy Wilder, Hollywood's the Jewish propaganda ministry, and you handed them the license to exploit the Holocaust. And that's what they've been doing for 75 years now. And the shelf life is running out. That's what I'm saying. That's what the consciousness is rising. We now are starting to understand what really happened. Uh, the attempt by Morgenthau, the Jew who was the Secretary of Treasury, to starve the Germans to death. All of this is coming to the fore. And uh, I don't think all the king's horses and all the king's men can put it back together again. Well, there is a quote, I guess, from the director of that sh Shoah, which was, I think, a very long documentary made of, of this supposed event. Shoah. Shoah, I guess, before they started calling it the Holocaust. No, this is after they, they, they abandoned Holocaust. This was Claude Lanzmann, and I think it was 78 when that film came out. Okay. And 
I believe you have the quote here. It says, if Auschwitz is something other than a horror of history, it goes beyond the banality of evil. Then Christianity totters on its foundations. Christ is the son of God who went to the end of hum, uh, humanly, humanly, went to the end of the humanly endurable where he endured the cruelest suffering. If Auschwitz is true, then there's a human suffering which cannot simply be compared with that of Christ. In this case, Christ is false and the salvation uh, will not come from him. Auschwitz is the refutation of Christ. Yes. And he writes, one could hardly provide a more drastic demonstration that for increasingly greater numbers of Jews, the Holocaust has become a genuine religion. Perhaps two Jews out of three Jews believe in God, but 99.9% of them believe in the gas chambers. Right, right. Um, the, the big, the big uh, man in this regard was Ailey Wiesel, who used to go around saying that God died at Auschwitz. That was, uh, and, and so the, the other significant factor is the, the extent to which the Catholic Church internalized this false paradigm. And the crucial figure there is Joseph Ratzinger. And if you subscribe to Culture Wars magazine, you'll find out why he was such a crucial figure. I've already adverted to this a little bit in the September issue. Uh, saying you have to, if you want to understand Tradiciones Custodas, you have to understand Ratzinger's attitude toward uh, the being conquered and the social engineering that followed that. Uh, the same thing is true of Vatican II. The Vatican II was in many ways, uh, and Vatican II imposed the Holocaust narrative on the Catholic Church. Yeah, there is a. Uh... A quote from Robert Ferrisson talks about how um, in France, it is perfectly lawful to proclaim unbelief in God, but it's forbidden to say that one does not believe in the Holocaust or simply that one has doubts about it. The punishment may run up, run up to as much as a year's imprisonment and a fine of 45,000 euros. Um, so this is definitely, it's, it's almost the, the foundational belief or religion of, of the modern world, which is why it has to be propped up because you're not just this isn't just an academic argument about history. You're talking about uh, uh, real political power here and not to mention, you know, the hundred billion dollars or uh, euros, whatever that that's transferred in terms of, 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 of uh, you know, uh, uh, to the Israeli state and Jewish organizations, uh, you know, because of right. German. That was one of the German main payoffs. One of the main benefits of the Holocaust narrative was the reparation scam mm -hmm. that you basically blackmailed the German government into giving giving these people billions of dollars. Well, who got the billions of dollars? Norman Finkelstein's parents who were in a camp, they didn't get any. And he wrote the book, The Holocaust Industry, about how these it's these lawyers skimming this off the top and using it to fund these propaganda ministries. You know, to keep everybody under control, to keep everybody on board with with this narrative. So it's not so much it's the fact it is the foundational myth of the American empire. Uh, but it's the problem is it's it's falsifiable. That's the problem. So, you know, the Jews can say all they want about Jesus Christ, but until they find his bones and do the DNA test, uh, it, it looks as if he rose from the dead, you know, implausible as that sounds. They're saddled uh, with, as I said, a lampshade, two shrunken heads, and a human pelvis ashtray. That's their creation. They made that up. I didn't do that. It wasn't their enemies that did it. It's their, they are the ones who did it. And so now as this turns, it's like judo. The force that is being applied against you can be returned to the person who's applying the force. And to give uh, a, a hint about what's going to be in the next issue, uh, the uh, Jews just put out a movie called Santa Inc., uh, an <laughs> animation film yes, uh, yeah. with Sarah Silverman voicing the elf and Seth Rogen. Uh, this just uh, laugh, uh, uh, you know, trying to be funny about Santa Claus. Now, Santa Claus is not Jesus Christ, okay? The Jews created Santa Claus to bring people into department stores, you know? So they're destroying their, their own game here. But the point, the interesting thing here is you have all of this media power and you put out something that makes you look ridiculous. Didn't you know that? Did, did you think 
that promoting Sarah Silverman was going to make Jews look good? No. And so it turns out they have the comment, but they put the trailer up and the comment box. <laughs> it, oh, yeah. it, it starts off by saying, well, if and if it takes five minutes for an elf to wrap a package, how long will it take to wrap six million packages? <laughs> and and elves were kicked off the shelves of 109 stores. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on like that. And so finally, somebody at at YouTube woke up and realized what happened and banned all of the comments, banned all of the comments. So it was, they took over the com box. 85,000 people hated this movie. Nobody liked it. Do you see what's happening here? Well, you're, uh, just, you're destroying your own narrative. And so the, the crew, the funny thing is in the middle of it, Sarah Silverman says more people believe in, uh, in Santa Claus than believe in the Holocaust. Yes. Wait a minute, Sarah. Wait a minute. Whoa. Where are we going here? Are you saying are you putting Santa Claus and the Holocaust on the same level? Uh, are you saying there's an equivalence here? It seems that she's saying that. Well, no, that's 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 uh, are you a Holocaust denier or are you a Santa Claus denier or both or which is it? Anyway, this is all coming out now in some big production that all of these all of these Jews got together. and thought this is this will make us millions. What could go wrong here? Having Santa Claus say fuck. That's funny. Ha ha ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, you have a, like a claymation, which is you associate with kids and. It's like they do with like, like you know, the South Park used to it, where it's a cartoon and they cuss. Wow, wow, edgy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it blew up yeah. in their faces, yeah. and now so Seth Rogen's got a safe face, so he says, "Yeah, it was white supremacists." Oh, back to that. So did he call Merrick Garland to investigate? <laughs> yeah. We'll have to go after these people who are posting <laughs> comments. This has got to stop. Domestic well, terrorists. <laughs> Anti Santa, who's anti Santa Claus? Mark, is it Sarah Silverman or is it the people? You know, this is this is the the, the the narrative is unraveling here. I'm sure they didn't expect that type of reaction. They don't. We weren't even supposed to know it was all Jews who made this uh, made this movie. Well, it's funny thing is with that time, all those you know, obviously they're uh, lampooning uh idea of these claymation christmas things that we remember from the 60s and 70s that kids would watch rudolph the red-nosed reindeer those are all jewish creations to begin with anyway they were that's the whole point yeah yeah so you're you're ruining your own operation here as i said santa claus was created by the uh, by the strauss family so that uh, he could ride down the street on thanksgiving and climb up into macy's I remember. I mean, in many, <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was. Yeah, so you could say, yeah. So Bill Riley gets on. There's a war on Christmas. Blah blah blah. And who's who's responsible? Well, it's secularist. Well, no, this is ridiculous. But uh, there, there was, uh, there was. So the, the the Jews never abolished Christmas. Why would they do that? They need people to buy all those stuff from their department stores. But they did abolish Advent. I mean, that yes. disappeared completely. The idea that you're anticipating the birth of Christ all got just complete. And I, I remember it as a child. As a child, Christmas meant going to a department store. And there was a whole floor of nothing but toys. Like, I'm an early baby boomer, you know? And you went, and there was a whole floor of toys and Santa Claus, and there were trains. You built train sets and stuff like that. That was what Christmas was. Well, that's well all, the, Christmas. All, the, all the Christmas, all the popular Christmas songs were also Jewish. Right, uh, right. They are Jingle all. Bell Rock, all Jingle Bell, <laughs> you know. But I mean, obviously the classic Silent Night and Oh Holy Night and, and Handel's Messiah, but that predates the, in the modern era, obviously, the, the recording of popular music that we associate with. Yeah. You know. Um, no, Philip Roth, Philip Roth brought this up. He said that Ir Irving Crystal wrote uh, White Christmas. Irving, uh, Irving, you, Ber Irving Berlin. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Irving. It, 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 Irving's here. It, 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 Irving which, Berlin. What, 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 it's a. I know. Go ahead. I love the quote. It's a great quote. But go ahead. It says. It says. Uh, Ir Irving. Irving Berlin de-Christed Christmas. He turned and then he turned uh, Easter into a fashion parade with. Uh, what was that? Easter in your yeah, Easter yeah. bonnet? The Easter parade. I think what was it like Easter yeah. parade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's true. Yeah. Yeah, you turn Easter, turn Easter into a fashion show and Christmas into a weather report, you know, white Christmas. Yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was right. 
He was right. And so Sarah Silverman is basically demolishing a Jewish idol. That's what Santa Claus was. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a Jewish idol to get you into a department store and spend money. I well, didn't you, know that. Yeah. What do you make of it? Like all the mayhem now? We have all this like looting. And they call it, you know, was it uh, whether these mobs are just raiding these stores uh, and the, so the breakdown law and order. Now, all of a sudden you have like the mayor of San Francisco, uh, people in Portland are realizing. Yeah. Is, it, is, it, is it have they lost control of their golems here? Is it or is this something? It's, they, I mean, it's only the logical extension of consumerism, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just snatch <laughs> yes. and grab, right? They're just doing they're being yeah. docile. They're not being docile consumers. They're being aggressive consumers. Or on the other hand, it's the fruit uh, of uh, electing a Soros prosecutor. Oh, I said that word. Uh-oh. I said, yeah. Don't tell yeah. the ADL. I just said that word. But it, Soros prosecutors like Larry Krasner in uh, in Philadelphia, uh, they're notorious for not prosecuting crimes. And so the word gets out on the street and you can violate the law with impunity. And that's what they're doing. Yep. Yep. It's just like simple. Is, yeah, this has gotten out because I, I, I recently went to a party and some person just brought up, oh, the Soros prosecutors. Everyone's talking about the Soros prosecutors. I don't know if they're making the drawing, you know, the longer, uh, you know, the, the conclusion to what he represents. But it is getting out. You know, they're trying to say, "Don't say Soros," but everyone is saying, "Oh, those are just Soros prosecutors." So there, there is a. But then Soros is the guy that start yeah, that got Black Lives Matter started, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, uh, it, it, the Jewish revolutionary spirit has always been some rich Jew collaborating with some revolutionary Jew mm-hmm. but, uh, to destroy Christian culture, what was left of Christian culture, and that's what they're doing now. So it's obvious. Uh, so, uh, you know, what can I say? Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> yes. It's the Vox Popoli. Mm-hmm. You know, how can you argue with the Vox Popoli? Vox Popoli, Vox Dei. Like, that's precisely what's being abolished here. Mm-hmm. Any type of sense that these people have a right to have their own opinion, to be anything other. Well, look now, it looks like docile guinea pigs. I mean, guinea pig in the most literal sense of the term, where you're getting this uh, vaccine injected in you. It's wrecking your immune system, and you're going to be addicted to boosters every two months, which yes, is I'm, it's I'm manna from heaven for the big Jew Borla who runs Pfizer. Who calls people criminals for questioning his product, even though his that's right. His company's paid out two billion dollars in fines, <laughs> criminal fines. <laughs> Wait a minute, <laughs> this is projection, uh, sir. You know, this is so that that that's what that's what's happening now. You know, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? I think they've they've met some type of resistance, and it's going to be very hard to overcome the skepticism. You ruined. The faith of the American people, some people would call it the credulity of the American people, but you ruined it. You overplayed your hand. And now once it happens, you start to think, well, wait a minute. If COVID isn't really a vaccine and it's going to make you worse, uh, I wonder who did 9-11. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and maybe Kennedy wasn't killed by a lone deranged gunman. The whole, the whole narrative will start to unravel. And yeah, you will regret, you will regret, you you oligarchs will regret this because you are going to suffer the consequences and you're too blind to see that right now. Yeah, like I said, they may get a new normal. It might be the new normal they don't they didn't anticipate. Yeah, do you think the, do you think yeah. the Wall Street crowd likes uh, people, these mobs breaking into their jewelry stores and stealing their Rolex watches? Mm-hmm. That's not that's not part of the plan. That's the plan that's gotten out of control with uh, people who have internalized this narrative, this critical race narrative, uh, because they're too stupid to understand where it's going to lead. Yeah. Well, that's again, that's another uh, thing with the whole critical race theory, 1619 project. It's the usual suspects, you know, promoting this, uh, you know, that's right. You know, no, uh, Ignatieff, no, yeah. Ignatieff. Is he a white guy? Are Jews white? Nolik Natiev was the author of critical race theories. He was at Harvard. Well, uh, even like Seth Rogen, uh, who, you know, uh, you know actor, uh, self-described comedian, he even he's, he's, he's twittering out that it's the 
to the white people that it's white men. It's the end of your, your, your day is over. It's like, wait a second. You're white. Oh, I guess you're not I saw, white. I, I, saw, I guess you're not white, Seth. Well, what <laughs> yes. are you then? What are you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Did you read about the re- those recent emails that were leaked? Uh, I guess between Francis Collins and Fauci uh, regarding the uh, the Barrington Declaration. They had to smear these doctors that were coming out. These renowned doctors that were coming out against lockdowns and, and the approach uh, to the, the to the so called pandemic. Um, and it, it, the substance of the emails is not not dealing with the arguments or questioning the techni- the technical arguments. They they're, they're, they're just want to smear them and shut them down because they can't contend with any debate. It shows just how authoritarian it, the whole approach is. Meaning, yeah, you know, and now who who can have trust in a system like that? That's how, when, when their reaction is to, is to censor and shut people up, and supposed to answer the questions. I mean, why would you repose any trust in figures like that? You know. Why would you? Yeah you've, yeah, you've destroyed trust. How are you going to rebuild this? How are you going to rebuild this? I don't think they can. I think they, that's why you have this push. this almost frantic push to almost push it over, over the, uh, you know, over the goalpost, over the finish line. Because That's the- right. I think that's a, a sign of desperation on their part. And it should be a hopeful sign for, for us. Because if we just, it seems if we just hold out a little longer, they're not going to be able to do this. It's yeah, it's not yeah. working. It's yeah. not there's there's a significant. I'd say I'm, I'll be I'll be con- conservative here. I would say fifty percent. I don't think it's gone over fifty percent. No matter what they say, you can't you can't demonize half the country. You can't do that. It's not going to work. You can't force businesses to fire people and then expect that uh, your goods are going to be delivered on time. You mm-hmm. can't do this. This is. This is the the Latin saying, motus in fine velocior. At the end, things accelerate. Well, this must be a sign that we're heading toward the end because things are certainly accelerating. Who well, are, would have I thought? Mean, it gives back to your question. Are we, end, are we at an end of an epoch? I, mean, are we, I are think we, we are. I think mean, we're at the yeah. end of the American empire, whatever mm-hmm. that means. So what, what would that mean? That could mean a return, as I've said, to states' rights. Even, mm-hmm. That was a dirty word in the 60s, states' rights. It was a code word for uh, racism and segregation. I think it's going to uh, any, they needed a unified, all empires need to unify their, their countries yes. so they can project force outward. Well, that means once you stop projecting force outward, which is something like happened in Afghanistan, that was the opposite, then you're causing the rise of regional and representative government. I think that that's just part, it's just a natural, it's like almost like hydraulics here. You know, it's going to be a natural consequence of that type of overreach. That's what we're- Yeah, that's what the COVID regime sort of exposed was the, uh, exposed the governance question, meaning, uh, I mean, it came up on other issues like the gay rights issue and the gay marriage thing where, CEOs were ordering states to repeal laws or to right. pass certain laws. Right. And we had this sort of thing with like with BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street, these huge, you know, investment forms, uh, uh, asset holding companies that are dictating to countries what to do because they hold so many assets. And they're working behind the scenes at these, you know, these, these NGO or public private private partnerships like Davos, and that they're deciding what legislation, what policy is the new green economy, the great reset, these things, what's going to happen with the currencies. And they're discussing all things completely uh, outside the political realm. The people have no say in this stuff and the politicians just, just uh, supposedly there to follow their, their, their dictates. And so why even have a political class if they're just following dictates? So it exposed to many that we don't have representative government right now. We have a corporate run system. These corporations like BlackRock and Vanguard, which hold so many assets and they control, uh, I guess, through political donations and it gets through the intelligence agencies, blackmail. That's what the Jeffrey Epstein thing kind of exposed. Right. Right. right so right. what do we got? I mean, that's that, that's that's the crisis here is is what type of governance are we going to have? You know, this the final push here will be to completely abolish any representative government. And so that every politician will be a proconsul who will impose on the people who voted him the dictates of the oligarchs. That's that's the plan. COVID is the mean the means to that end, but that's the plan. 
And the question is, are enough people going to wake up and say, this is not medicine. You got 100% vaccination on that Royal Caribbean cruise, and you have a, a, a COVID epidemic outbreak. How are you going to blame that on the unvaccinated? This is not medicine. This is warfare. This is warfare against the entire human race. When are the people going to wake up to that fact? And when are they going to say, no, no farther? You're not going to vaccinate me over my dead body. Did Sarah Palin just say this? God yes. bless her. God bless Sarah Palin. She finally said it. Articulated the, the, the crucial issue, unlike Donald Trump, who bragged about being vaccinated. She understood the fundamental issue. Yes. It's over my dead body because it may literally come to that. Yes. There's certain athletes uh, in Europe, soccer players, they're dropping like flies. And it literally is over their dead bodies that we're talking about this. And it's hard to cover that up when people see that. <laughs> I mean, it's and that's what they're running into. They've run into a brick wall. And as flawed as these politicians are, it is uh, encouraging to see them come up and say things like that, because then you realize that the political process is responding to something. And as imperfect as it, as it is, it can at least give us a respite, a chance to live and fight another day. When, when this That's right. And we should not despise these these mixed blessings here, you know, no. because, uh, you know, you're not going to God is not going to extinguish the smoldering wick. And we've got a smoldering wick here. And that's that's what we want. We want the judicial system to respond. We want the system to right itself. I don't want revolution. I don't want it. The Jews want revolution. I don't want it. I want a stable society. That's yeah, what it's, I want. Yeah, well, yeah, revolutions are, are very messy and they never end the way you think they're going to end. So, yeah, I'm not an accelerationist myself. So I get, I get kids. No. So. <laughs> but uh, the point here is yeah. that these are forces that are beyond our control, but they're not beyond God's control. And God is in charge of human history. And, and if you don't believe it, buy a copy of Logos Rising. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's the cunning of reason. and, and It is exposed. the cunning of reason. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly what I'm talking about here. I had someone say that you have a day or, or at dinner and we were just talking about various things. And he says, I never would have believed all this conspiracy stuff until this COVID thing happened. Right. <laughs> so there you go. So That's right. Well, um, yeah, we're up over an hour now. I said I have an hour. So I want to be respectful of your time. I want to thank you for coming back on the show. My pleasure, Tim. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year then. Same to you. Thank God you so bless much. us, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Good night then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.